And if you're building one of these, please reach out to me. I want to invest in all of these. I want to invest in like 20 of these companies. I feel like I can rule the world. I know I could be what I want to. I put my all in it like no days off. On the road, let's travel, never looking back. So... We're going to talk about what you guys can expect in today's episode. But before we do, um, so my first million, we actually just went from 80th in, in our category on, on the iTunes store, which is a big deal to us, to like number 14. And one of the reasons why we did it was because you folks who are listening have clicked the subscribe button. So if you're using iTunes or using an Apple product, can you please do me a favor? Uh, I want you to go and click subscribe. So go to... Uh, our My First Million page and click that subscribe button. And then we have this email address, um, MFM, so My First Million, MFM at thehustle.co. Send a screenshot of you subscribed and we're going to do a call out of you on the podcast. So say like your name and then show me that you subscribed. Send it to MFM, a screenshot, and we're going to uh, give a call out. And actually, we're going to give a call out at the end of this episode for all the people that did that previously. And now let's hear what we're going to talk about in this episode. Go ahead, Sean. Uh, yeah, we got a bunch of topics I'm excited about. We talked about creating barstool sports for the tech industry. We talked about internal company podcasting platforms like Spoken. Uh, we went on a crazy detour for crime walks, manhood as a service, rent a chicken. Uh, we got a bunch of good topics in this week's, uh, in today's episode. This was probably, if you like ideas, I would say, you're going to love this episode. Sometimes we're a little bit light on ideas. We were super heavy on ideas today. So I think you guys will love it. Great. See you in the episode. So we we just were talking for a few minutes about the podcast updates uh, and what we're doing to make it grow. But what I was about to tell you, Sean, is I have this doc that I'm going to send to you. And so, you know, have you seen how I don't know if you've seen this or not, but the podcast goes in the email, I think every day now. Oh, and I I'm, have not seen that. Yeah. And I'm the one writing it. And so I have a, we set this up. So it's going to, the, you're going to see the clicks in this document that I sent you every day. Um, but anyway, it's going well today. Did you see that graph I sent you? I tweeted it out. I was like, this is what I'm talking about. Uh, there's a, basically you sent a graph of the iTunes rankings for us business for the business category. I would get, I guess pretty big category. And, um, Maybe the we biggest. usually hovered between 80 and 100, like we were number 80, number 100, I guess, like that was kind of like our norm. And then Sam takes over growth and like, boom, step change, we're up to, no, we're, we're now ranked number 20 for the last, I don't know, week or two. Um, you could just see when you started working on it, it's like a direct thing, which reminds me of like a very, uh, a lesson I always teach everybody on our team, because there's lots of marketing things you'll do. Where you're like, did it work? And it's like, ah, I don't know. We got to look into it. Oh, it wasn't trackable. It's like, no, no, no. Just show me the revenue graph. Show me the user graph. Like, if I can't notice something happened on this day, or hey, we started growing around this time, then it didn't work enough, right? Like, because uh, because usually when you're in a small project, you need step changes. You don't need one percent. You need ten percent, thirty percent, fifty percent type of changes uh, to work. And basically, where we are now is, I mean. You, you and I could are both very capable of doing this. You just kind of look at the. It, it takes about two weeks. It took about took me about two weeks to talk to people and to look at the numbers. And it's like, oh, okay. I now know that if I only do this, I'm going to be mostly there, right? Um, and m what I've learned now is it's getting people to click the subscribe button on iTunes. If I get people <laughs> to do that, mostly everything will will be fine. Okay, but that's going to sound uh, overly simplistic. It's like. 
yeah, all I got to do is get checkmate and then I win a game of chess. It's like, well, yeah, but uh, how well, do you get people to click the subscribe button is kind no, of the question. I mean, it is, it, it is not overly simplistic. It is simple. It is get people to click that button. <laughs> now, the not simple part is how I'm going to get people to click the button. Right. But, the, <laughs> exactly. but the, the way to grow is simple. I just get people to click that button. And we've got loads of ways. For one, I'm just asking people. So yeah. we, um, we asked people to leave a review. Uh, the other day, and when I asked people to leave the review, that day we had 600 reviews. Do you know how many re- reviews we have now? I don't know. There's at least a few hundred that came through. Yeah. 1,400. Okay, so we added 800 reviews just off of a quick one-minute ask. Hey, if you like the podcast, go review it. Uh, we really appreciate it. That's kind of all you offered, really. It wasn't quick. I like begged, and I begged them, <laughs> but yeah. Right. It was sincere. Uh Yes. What I'm saying is it wasn't like rocket science. So you, uh, you know, I guess like one of the reasons I want to share how we grow this podcast is because the way we grow this podcast is kind of going to be, hold on, mosquito on my desk. No, too slow. Uh, okay. Hey, let's take a quick break to tell you about our sponsor. You know, finding a service solution that keeps your customers happy can feel impossible. Like trying to remember the name of that guy you literally just met at that networking event. And HubSpot Service Hub can help. So with the service solution part, at least it makes it easy. It brings service and success together on one powerful platform with an AI-powered help desk and a chatbot to handle your frontline tickets so you could scale support and drive retention and revenue. Visit HubSpot.com slash service to learn more. So one of the ways that we're going to grow this podcast, or one of the reasons we talk about this is because the things you're doing now is stuff that people can learn to grow whatever their thing is. And so I would say, so far, two observations. Number one, intensity. Uh, when Sam does something, he really like throws himself in in a you know more intense way than the average person. The average person thinks they're doing it. And then we watch Sam's level of like aggression and intensity towards something. And you're like, oh, okay, that's what a level 12 is. Like now I know what... Now I know what the sort of theoretical max is. Okay, so that's one lesson uh, I get to see. I guess other people don't get to see on a daily basis, but whatever. Second thing is start with the stupid, simple stuff. Okay, we want subscribers. Well, have we just asked people to subscribe, <laughs> right? Like, Have we tweeted saying, go subscribe? Have we said it on the podcast? Hey, make sure you subscribe to this thing. Go push this button. And um, that takes zero effort, but actually yielded like gain because it was just low hanging fruit. And I, I know that a lot of smart people would have talked themselves out of that because they would be afraid to ask uh, anybody for anything. They're just afraid of getting rejected, afraid of coming across as a, you know, salesperson or beggar or whatever. So they're just afraid to ask. And secondly, they would have overcomplicated things. They would have said, well, I got to go do this sophisticated strategy. And it's like, wait, well, have you tried the dumb strategy first? Yes, uh, I completely agree. Uh, and like, that's why I always make a joke that when I meet really smart people, like we we interviewed um, biology the other day, and I I don't know when that's going to come out in relation to this when this podcast is coming out, but soon. And he was like one of the most high IQ people I've ever spoke to. I think he might have been the highest IQ person I've ever talked to, and it was very obvious. And when I was talking to him, I actually was wondering. I'm like, you know, for the longest time, I actually thought that the lower your IQ, like you want your IQ to be just above average, but not really high, because the really smart people I meet, other than him, they typically talk themselves out of anything. And <laughs> and so anyway, I actually think that being just slightly above average is optimal. But That's the sweet spot. <laughs> I didn't get to ask him that, but I would want I would love to know his opinion of that of of like because like when you meet him and he must know that he's like a 
kind of a genius. Um, right. He can't not say kinda. it because, you know, he's going to be humble about it. He's not going to say, yeah, clearly I'm smarter than everybody, but he is clearly smarter than everyone. <laughs> so I know where you're going with this top one. And I think I've got a, I've got a strong opinion on it. You want to do yes. your bar stool for tech? Yes. You've talked about uh, this many times. Okay. Yeah. So, so maybe we'll keep it short, but well, I don't know. I mean, you, I know what you said, but we, with all right. listeners, they probably don't. Okay, so Barstool to me is a super interesting company. Not just I'm inter- you know I'm a fan. I, I consume some of the content, but I'm more interested in the business behind it. So they basically went into sports media, which was dominated by ESPN, and they you know the upstart made it. They started with nothing. Literally, Dave Portnoy was uh, you know writing a, a newspaper himself and then going down to the subway and handing it out to people on, before they got on their their morning commute. That's how that was the humble origins of that. Not even like a blog. Uh, like a physical newspaper he was handing out, like the paper boy, and he was the writer, um, and he was the editor, right? And so so that's how we got started. And then ultimately, you know, they sold for, I don't even, you probably know, 600, 700 650, million. 650-ish. Yeah, so so great outcome. And like, you know, they, they actually mean something in the world. A lot of people really love Barstool. They care about Barstool. Great. So why doesn't this exist in the world of business or the world of tech? So what did Barstool do? And could you apply that here? So what Barstool did, if you listen to Dave's early interviews, he basically says, look, um, I want, we are an entertainment company. So that's, that's the first thing. We are trying to make people laugh and have a good time. If you go to ESPN, that's not their, that's not their mindset. Their mindset is news, information, analysis. Um, and yes, we are entertainment, but like we're entertainment through news, information, um, you know, official game, uh, games and, uh, and analysis. And Barstool has no no rights to the games. They don't bid for it. They don't they don't own any NBA games. They don't know NFL games. Um, they don't do much analysis. They don't do much sort of information. They don't they don't tell you the news. They don't tell you who won and lost and how many points the guy scored. But they really focus on that last bit, which is making people laugh and being entertained. And so, I think the world of business is full of ESPNs. It's full of information analysis. Um, you know, like kind of like official broadcasts of, of, of content, you know, whether it's, you know, interviews with the companies and whatever. I think somebody should make Barstool for tech, which is I'm here to make you laugh. You're you're into the business world. You're into the tech world, the startup world, whatever it is. Pick your niche. And um, every day we're going to report news that makes you laugh. And today there's like The Onion that does that. So I would say that's like an example of someone who does that. Uh, but they're very extreme. And maybe that's the right way to go. Um, there was like kind of Valley wag or these kind of gossip blogs. So they took gossip and they brought it to, to business and tech. Uh, they kind of got sued out of business later, but they were popular for, for a time. Um, and there's kind of nobody else. And I think that if there is a Dave Portnoy out there, if there's somebody who's interested in this stuff and they're funny as hell, or they have this comedic taste, you could build a media company doing this. That's my theory. I feel like you disagree. Give me, give me your take. Yeah. So I don't disagree with you. I think it would work if you could pull it off. I want to explain to you why this is hard to pull off. So when you're a sports journalist who happens to be funny, which I, I actually think a lot of those people start, they're like, they love sports and they happen to be funny. And and, right. and that's typically how it works. Now, you don't really have that many options. You can work for the local newspaper. You can try to get one of the few jobs at ESPN. But regardless, if you're lucky, you make $150,000 a year, right? Right. And you're tabling the comedy side nine times out of 10. You're like, oh, you know, I would say this joke in my text message group with my buddies, but I can't put it in my column on ESPN. If you're smart enough to do this for business and you're funny, 
you now here's the where the rub you likely can get paid a ton of money as some type of analyst or some type of investor or some type of operator right. and so it's <laughs> really options. hard to retain those types of people because they say well why would i make like if i'm this smart i'm just going to go and trade stocks or invest in companies or start a company right. versus give you my opinion and make you laugh for $80,000 right. and this is the problem i've always had at the hustle which is how do you actually like a lot of the people who are best at and analyzing companies and giving opinions they sold their company for $80 million. And so I have found it's quite hard to retain those people. Whereas if you are a journalist in sports, that's like the end goal is to be a journalist in sports. Right. Do you know what I mean? Whereas yes. when you cover this stuff, the end goal is to start or join an early stage company that's going to be massive. And so, okay, so I agree with you that you could pull this off or that if you could pull it off, it would be a huge hit. It's just that that's one of the hard parts. Right. And so, so I, I agree with you. There are, uh, there's higher opportunity cost for a smart business person who has a good sense of humor to do many things. But, but, but here's the kicker. I think this could be fun. I think this could be cool. And I think that there's enough people out there that aren't going to know how to parlay their, you kind of need just above average IQ and then two standard deviations above average, uh, like kind of internet funniness. Um, to make this work. And so here's my pitch. Oh, here's, here's the camera. I got to look at Trung. I'm looking at you. Trung, look into, the, look into these eyes. I'm looking at you right now. Trung, this is what you should do, my friend. You need to, you need to leave the hustle. You need to leave HubSpot and you need to create the bar stool for tech. You already are doing it on Twitter and you need to create it. But here's the kicker. Here's how you make it more valuable. It's not just a media company. This would actually be an investment fund. So you would be a VC fund whose brand is built through journalism, whose distribution of how they help their companies is through their media arm. And so you're a media arm whose business model is your VC fund. And uh, that's so actually what I was going to say is I think that would work. But you need to be a VC fund first who then hires content people and offers them like some upside there. You're a VC fund in disguise is kind of how I would start it. Because you do have to build up you know, good distribution and it's it's not, again, I don't think it would be hard because there's nobody really creating this type of content. There's nobody that, that will just straight up make fun of Zuck when he's talking like a robot somewhere, right? Like, uh, and, and that's the type of stuff that Deadspin and Barstool that they do. They they find funny, memeable moments and they talk about them. And and that, that's why Trump came to mind because he did a tweet the other day about uh, Steve Ballmer and it was like information. It was like, Steve Ballmer, did you know when he first joined Microsoft, this was his salary? And then he renegotiated and was able to get this much equity. That turned him into a 30 billionaire or whatever he is now. And by the way, he did the whole thing. And he has this like Steve Ballmer in four decades. And each time he's wearing the same white, you know, New Balance dad shoes. And he's like, he did this the whole time wearing these New Balance shoes. Like anything is possible. And I was like, this is the perfect blend of a useful information nugget wrapped in a joke poking fun at the bear. And, um, and so I think that that's a, that's, that's the model. So anyways, I'm bullish on this. Sorry for trying to poach, uh, trying to convince him to go do this, but I think that would be the ultimate manifestation of his talents or somebody who's like Trung. If you're the next Trung out there, I don't know you. So I'm not, uh, I'm not saying Trung is this. I'm also not saying Trung is not this, but <laughs> when you hire these types of people, because what makes them good also makes them a pain in the ass to work with sometimes, you Divas. know, like what makes them good is that they're they're hilarious. They uh, they come up with stuff like, 
uh, off the cuff, uh, it, but they're incredibly challenging to contain. Um, yes. and you don't want to contain them necessarily, but like there is some shit you need and people to I, do. I'm kind of like this, right? I showed up 10 minutes late today. I know you hate me being late. I wasn't trying to be late, but I'm late, but also I'm good. I'm good at what I do. You could find somebody who shows up on time for the podcast, but it's hard to find somebody who's going to consistently great, create great, great content. Right. That is the, and, that's the rub with talent. The talent, I've, the learned talent how business. To put, I've learned how to put up with that, but right. that is the part where sometimes I'm like, Ugh, I should just start a software company where the code is never late and the code never <laughs> right. complains about X, Y, and Z. Not right. saying this isn't a trunk. Trunk, I love you. This is just me as well. I'm a, create, I'm a creative person as, as well. I'm like that. And so creative people are hard to contain. Um, right. Hey, let's take a quick break to tell you about our sponsor. It is a podcast that we want you to check out. It's called D2C Pod. It's hosted by Ramon Berrios and Blaine Bolas. It is brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. And this is a podcast about all things direct-to-consumer, D2C. It's e-commerce stores, it's how you optimize your brand, and they're talking with founders, marketers, and the platform creators about all kinds of things that you need to know for D2C. You know, website conversion, paid ads, Facebook ads, consumer trends, email marketing. If you want to know the stories behind your favorite brands, this podcast is for you. They did an episode recently about scaling creator growth and influencer incentives that I thought was pretty cool. So check it out. Listen to D2C Pod wherever you get your podcasts. You want to talk about slips? Because you were yeah, quite uh, in, I don't know interested if you're in like this. this one. Okay, so check out... Dude, why uh, do you always the, say, I don't think you're going to like... Am I like a well, default I po- like, negative I posted Nancy? It in, I posted it in Slack and you go, I hate course businesses. <laughs> so that's what I'm basing this on. <laughs> you're like, why are you saying I hate this? Like you literally told I me an hour ago, like, you hate a, this. <laughs> a, a company that publishes courses, I think is awesome to own, horrible to invest in. Am I wrong? Uh, I don't know. Maybe. What do you mean, company that publishes courses? So who's that? Like what? Like Slide Teachable? Sh- or, or, uh, well, no, Teachable is a platform. Um, right. This is a platform. So, so let me explain what this is. So the domain is slip.so. And it's a company I'm looking at potentially investing in. Uh, I saw it and it immediately was like, oh, this is a smart idea. So what did they do? They make it easy for any developer to create a course to teach, you know, some programming you know, uh, either a language or how to make X or how to make X go faster or whatever, right? Any developer teaching other developers. So why do you need, why do you need a new platform for this? Why can't you just use Udemy or Udacity or one of the other 10 platforms? Well, those platforms are all teaching through video. So you upload a video and maybe some text or PDF and, um, and then people go take that course self-serve. What they did was a little bit different. They took the Today, the best ways to learn how to code online are interactive. It, like we talked about Code Academy, uh, or is it Code Academy? I don't know, but CodeAcademy.com. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna say it fast so I don't. You don't know what I'm saying if I'm saying it right or wrong. CodeAcademy.com. You go there. I think they have like 40 million users or something. It's you know it's really grown over time. It's a thing. And all it is is it's a like you don't have to have. It's the like if you ever tried to learn how to code first, you got to download the like the text editor. That's what you're going to use to write your code in. Then you got to download like the pa- the Python packages so you can like deploy. And you're like, what the fuck is all this? I don't even know what Python is yet. But you need that to get started. So what CodeCademy did that was brilliant was they just put it all in the website, all in the browser. So you go to the website. There's a place to type. And you don't have to install anything. You don't have to download anything. It just says, look right variable equals a now you made a variable called a fantastic that's you know level one complete level two let's do a plus one and like you do it and it, it and if you get it wrong a little hint pops up it's like a game a hint pops up and says type a plus one so anyways or you're missing a comma or whatever so um so code academy built this and they are a teacher so what slip did was they made a platform 
but they've made the Code Academy like sandbox or toolkit available for any dev. So let's say I'm a developer and I'm really good at front-end development and making parallax scrolling websites. So I want to teach that, but I don't want to have to build the underlying infrastructure that Code Academy built in order to just let students come learn from me. That's way too much work. So what this is, is it's Code Academy in a box. Any developer can now create an interactive course and teach other developers and they can make money for sharing what they know. So I think this is pretty cool. I like the idea of letting developers become teachers. I think we're going to want more programmers over time. And I think that the building that underlying sandbox, that infrastructure that lets anybody have this kind of like code academy in a box, I think is a cool innovation that's going to save people a lot of time. So I'm kind of bullish on this, but it's very, very early. There's not much traction. Uh, you know, it just got started. What do you think? Hmm. Well, have you done the math behind this? Like how many? So he charges, I think if you are a developer who's using it, I think it's he charges 30 bucks a month plus 10% of the sales for your course. That's his business model. He himself taught a course. So the, how did he arrive here? He created a course on learning Vim. I don't even know what Vim is, but it's some shit developers use. So Vim's like, you're, you're, it's basically like you're, you know, uh, you're, you're, uh, it's kind of like your, your virtual machine, basically of where, how you organize and write your code, I think. Uh, or maybe it's something completely different. Sean doesn't know. So he created a Vim course. And in order to do that, he, he built the infrastructure for himself so that his students would have an interactive way to learn this instead of just watching videos and trying to figure it out themselves. They'd have a, a sandbox to go, go and write the code to learn. He made $10,000, $15,000 selling that course. And then he was like, oh, dude, I should make this so that any developer, like I know Vim, but what about the next guy who knows Solidity? And they're trying to teach Ethereum programmers, you know, how to, how to write in Solidity. They can now create their course using the same toolkit that I, I create, I used for myself. So I wish you would have started this like six years ago. So right now, these course businesses are actually these course platforms, we're going to call them. They're not publishers. They're tech companies. Right. They're actually booming right now. So do you know a company called Thinkific? Uh, I've heard of it, but it's it's kind of like a Kajabi, right? It's like a, just a it's like a Teachable. It's the same thing, right? Do you know they went public yesterday? I did not know this. How uh, how value, they, how how big is it? They went public yesterday on the Canadian Stock Exchange, uh, the Toronto, the T S E. Is that what it's called? The Toronto Stock Exchange. And yeah. look it up TSX, right now. For some reason, when when companies right like in the first couple of days of going public, it's like impossible to find the market cap. I don't understand why it's so hard, but it never shows up. But anyway, they only had twenty million in sales, and they broke even or lost a little bit of money. So they went from ten million to twenty million in two thousand and twenty, and Guess what their market cap is right now? It's going to be like, I don't know, $2 billion or something stupid. It's over a billion dollars, their market cap is. And I was I asked Encore. So our friend Encore, he started this company called Teachable. When Teachable sold, they sold for, I think, $250 million. It's This is... Uh, uh, public information, just Google, whatever the headline says. That's what that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. I think it's 250 or ish, and I think he was only doing 25 million a year in sales. It, right. They had only raised four million dollars. It was a really straightforward, simple thing. I mean, hard but simple. And now Thinkific is quite similar. They went public uh, with a huge, massive valuation, and I was like, Anker, why are these valuations so high? Like this is just stupid. And he goes, it's because of, and I don't understand how this. I don't understand this, but he's like, it's the payments business. So I guess once you get someone to start spending, um, you save their credit card, and then they'll continue buying stuff. And that's one of the reasons why investors value these companies incredibly highly at the moment is because they want the payments revenue. I don't entirely understand. 
I don't I don't understand mechanics there. But you know, the way they, I would think it, about it is these are just Shopify. So what did Shopify do? Shopify made it so that anybody yeah. can create a storefront. What they're saying is it's Shopify, but instead of selling, you know, hats and shirts, you sell information, which is super high margin. And if you think, okay, Shopify, there are now X number of hundreds of thousands of sellers and Shopify is a hundred billion dollar company. Um, okay, maybe retail is bigger than the sort of uh you know additional education business. But, um, but, you know, we have like a hundred fold, you know, from a hundred billion, which is Shopify to 1 billion, uh, you know, you, you can, you can be a hundred times smaller than Shopify. If you create Shopify for education, if you make it so that any educator can come and create a, a storefront to sell their, their information. And that's what Teachable was trying to do. That's what many companies try to do. And they're all splitting that pie in a way. Um, but I like this one because I think it doesn't compete with all those. I think the developer ecosystem, you know, developers teaching other developers or wannabe developers is quite differentiated. And the product is quite differentiated from what Teachable, like Teachable, Kajabi, Thinkific, they're all the same. It's just you create a video library, you charge students, they get access to the library, and then, you know, the teacher can communicate with the students or whatever. That's How'd you find this guy? Um, I was on Twitter, I think. I just saw, I don't know, I don't know, maybe one of my guys sent it to me. I don't really recall um, I think Zach actually, who is my scout for my phone, I think he saw it and was like, this is cool. And I was like, as soon as I went to the landing page, something clicked with me. Now, this is still very and small. I think, can you I think he's the- under a thousand dollars of GMB right now. Like, I think he's got like a couple teachers who it's been live for a couple weeks and, uh, you know, he's can got like a thousand dollars. What's that? What, what's it called? Slip. Slip. What's the URL? Slip.so. Um, yeah, like it's neat. I think I've always had a little bit of a problem with this type of stuff because whenever, do you know what the finish rate is for courses? You know, it's like 10%. 6%. Yeah. Like, so, uh, a hundred people buy it only 10. If you consider using the product, doing the whole thing, only like 10 of the hundred are actually going to do it. If you're lucky. I have a friend who just sold, he's, he's doing a course. It's a couple thousand dollar ticket price, right? So people putting down a few thousand dollars to learn this thing. And, uh, he said, Guess how many people are finishing the course? Uh, <laughs> I was like, "Oh no, don't tell me!" It, it was like I think, I think twelve people had finished the course. <laughs> so it was like you know whatever, so less less than less than six percent I think had had actually finished the course. He also said, "Guess how many people got to fifty percent?" I think it was like 20, 20 something percent of people had gotten halfway through the course. And he's like, "Did I make a shitty course?" And I was like, "No, dude, this is just what self serve education is. When it's self serve and there's no peer." like peer pressure. There's no like accountable teacher who's like training you every week or, you know, you're showing up to a live, live thing when it's, it's Netflix, it's on demand. I can go, I can go learn more whenever I want. I paid for the thing. Even paying thousands of dollars is not enough skin in the game to do this. It's very counterintuitive. You would think it's not even you, you paid 60 grand a year or whatever you paid or your someone paid to, for you to go to Duke and you miss classes. Oh yeah, that, that's a great point. Yeah, I was. Uh, I basically, you know, for four years, I took a four-year piss down the drain of my uh, my college tuition. Is is the way I would describe that experience. So anyway, that's one of the reasons why I'm not like all gun ho about course businesses because I'm like, damn, like no one uses but your shit. I'll say this: not all have that low co- completion rate. I invested in Maven uh, Guggen's, you know, Guggen Bayani's company. He did Udemy. He saw that low completion rate problem. He created this cohort-based course uh, product where you, you get a batch of people in. They're going to do the thing for a defined period of time, five weeks. There's live instruction every week. 
and the completion rates are way better, right? Like that, that, that dramatically increases it. Lambda school, I invested in Lambda school. Lambda school had like an 80% completion rate when I invested way back in the day. And so I knew something is different about this company. I knew the standard is six. I knew these guys had 80 plus. And I was like, what'd you get different? He goes, well, it's live. Uh, you show up to class with a bunch of other students and a teacher and, um, you know, so and we and we do good filtering up top. Most course companies, they're trying to sell as many seats as possible. Lambda school is the opposite. It's like a Harvard. They're trying to only accept the one percent of students that are actually going to do the thing. And so, you know, depending on the business, you can get wildly different outcomes. But yeah, you're right. As a general rule, they're com- you know the usage kind of sucks. Dude, you have so many ideas here. Where did you find all this? So what the hell is um. Uh, you inspired spoken. me, dude. You were working on growth, and I was like, I, I if he's doing growth, I better bring the fucking heat on content. So I was like, I'm coming with a bunch of ideas. What the fuck is spoken? Sounds sick. Yes. Okay. You want to do spoken? So spoken, S P O K N. It's podcasting inside companies. What's the URL? S P O K N. I don't know. You'd have to Google it. I don't have the URL. Handy, I did. I, I, it's so new. They don't even show up really. Oh, shit. Sad because I'm giving this guy a shout out. They're growing fast. Got it. So um, if you, it's uh, getspoken.com or if you just Google S-P-O-K-N in quotation marks, you'll find it. Right. And tell them I sent you. So, um, okay. So what is this? So I, when I uh, first started this podcast, I used to record out of a studio and uh, in San Francisco, there's like this old radio station place. And they were like, ah, radio's kind of dying. What if we converted these radio studios to podcast studios? And so they were the only one in San Francisco, uh, if you just like Google for it. It's kind of amazing. hundred bucks an hour, go, go record. And, um, and so I wanted good quality. So I went there and I used to book like on their little scheduler. And some days I would see it was just like all booked. And I was talking to the dude and I was like, who the hell is booking? How many podcasters are using this thing? I feel like it was like not many old, people yeah. would do. And he was like, oh, sorry, that day, uh, Facebook booked all the hours. I was like, what do you mean Facebook booked all the hours? Facebook doesn't have a podcast. He goes, oh, Facebook has tons of podcasts internally. I was like, what? He goes, yeah, they have like a manager's manager's podcast that is just an internal podcasting uh, podcast for Facebook managers to talk about managing inside Facebook. And I was like, oh, that's actually kind of smart. Like, we've talked about this before, internal media companies. I think this is a big opportunity. You think it's a big opportunity. We've talked about it from a a blogging point of view, newsletters. Um, We've talked about it on like, uh, like kind of like like uh, central announcement dashboards. So building tools for companies to better communicate, building, basically build an internal high school newsletter, a news high school newspaper, I think is what we called it. What is the high school newspaper for your company? Yeah, I think this is so awesome. Ever since you said that, I can't get that idea out of my head. If you're building one of these, please reach out to me. I want to invest in all of these. I want to invest in like 20 of these companies. I'm trying to find that episode. Do, what would I search to find it on Google? My first million internal, inter, what do we, what do, yeah, internal, I'm gonna, MailChimp, MailChimp for companies, I think. I, I don't know what we called it at that time, but the core idea is just like a, a high school or a college will have their, their school newspaper. Why don't companies have the same? And if it's going to be a newspaper, it's not going to be literally a physical newspaper. In this case, with Spoken, it's a podcast for inside companies. And companies will clearly pay for the, like, kind of like the platform, the recording, the library, and the, like, private uh, private feed um, that others can't access. That's for your company. And, uh, you know, the companies that need this are very large companies. And so I don't know realistically, like, okay, so I think that's all cool. I don't know realistically how many people at Facebook are like, fuck yeah, I'm like commute to work today. I'm going to listen to the manager podcast. Like maybe nobody wants to hear this shit, uh, but maybe they do. Like maybe there's interesting personalities. I know that if at Twitch, if Twitch had an internal like podcast, I would do one. I would do one on, 
you know, managing or product or innovation or whatever. I don't know. And I don't, I don't know how many people will listen to it, but I think it's a very interesting niche that turns, it's a niche of podcasting that is highly monetizable. What do you think? Uh, yeah. So on, on the surface, I think this is so badass. I'm, I've been a fan of this idea for a long time. I don't know where we came up with this idea, but I've, I've, I think that at the time we discussed this, we were like, oh, this might be one of the most straightforward ways to make a lot of money on this podcast that we, at, at that time. Um, I'm looking at, we were spoke- I think we were talking about it because I was publishing my three, two, one, um, or my one, two, three newsletter, uh, inside Twitch. I, I had told you, Hey, here's yeah. a networking hack I'm doing inside the company. I write this thing. I send it to all the execs, like the 25 person exec team or whatever. And it's just a great way to stay in front of people and stay top of mind and help them get to know me. And it takes me one hour and I get an, I essentially get an hour with all the execs just by me putting the one hour in. Um, and so, but I was saying, you know, I'm just sending this in Gmail. Why isn't there like MailChimp or ConvertKit for sending stuff inside companies? That's kind of so one of the ways we're talking about So there's a great company called Recess. It's called Recess.io. Okay, and Abreu, Abreu grabbed it. So by the way, episode 53 is where we talked about it. If people want to go listen. Episode 53. All right. I'm going to write that because I'm actually doing this this series where I'm going to go back and look at old ideas. And this is a good one. Um, Recess.io. It started by this guy named Ryan Dice. It never really got off the ground, but it's called Easily Send Internal Email Newsletters and Track Results. So right. it's basically what you're we're describing. It, and it hasn't taken off. I'm also looking at Spoken. They went to White Combinator. They're in class of W21. So winter 21. Does that mean they're still in it? Yeah, that's like now. Um, and they cut the company launched in <laughs> Actually, 2000. Actually, that's like not even now. It's fucking spring 21. I don't know how that works. <laughs> Wait. Yeah. What the hell? It says guys w- just lying. It says Straight W21. Lying. No. Well, it could be winter 21. January. January 21. Oh, okay. I gotcha. <laughs> I guess. It, yeah. Not December. January. Uh, and it started in 2018. And I'm wondering why it hasn't taken off a little bit more. That's three years in. You would think it would have a little bit more traction. And so on surface, I think this is a brilliant idea. I'm wondering what's going on and why it's not kicking ass. I think this is a fantastic idea. All right. Uh, I, I I like this idea a little better as the newsletter one because I think it's just more accessible than podcasts, but uh, both are cool. And we but should ask the- Ryan, De- Ryan Deese is your buddy, right? You should ask him, like, what's what, what's the deal? I well, feel like this I is can a already slam tell you idea. why. The, well, I don't. He's never told me this, but Ryan Deese has loads of companies. Right. So this, this is because of because this is pretty innovative. You have to be all in on it, I think, to make it work. And so we I wonder what's going on with something like this. So if you're building this, let us know if you're like, no, I want a project. I want to build it. This is one where if you're a credible person, uh, me and Sam will invest in this, I think, to, to get something like this built. By the way, um, we have a new email. It's called mfn at thehustle.co. I'll give you access, Sean. But basically, um, cool. any because I get too many emails, and I think you do too. So if you guys want to contact us, and if you are building this, mfm at thehustle.co. Uh, so you can email us, uh, us if you're actually making that. Uh, you want to go to the, uh, another one? Yeah, let's do another one. All right. So um, Crime Walk. Okay, what is this? So I was... I don't even remember what this was. So basically there's like an air. So Airbnb has this experiences thing and uh, you probably know much more about this and uh, your wife works there. And, and you're also, I think the type that would do something like this. So I saw this and I saw how much money it was making, or I don't remember what it was it exactly. Uh, okay. So if you go to Airbnb experiences, there was an experience and there's a, in our doc, there's a link to it just slightly below um, where it's a retired NYPD officer will guide oh you God. through a walk through New York and Dude, it's a guided yes. mafia and crime walk. 
<laughs> I'm like, wait, mafia I've been wanting this for so long. This is so cool. So it, here's the description. I'm just going to read it word for word. First, let me say that most gangster tours in New York are total BS. This experience comes right from the horse's mouth. No tour guide, no filter. Get real stories while visiting notorious gangland locations as we walk from East Village to Little Italy, experiencing what it was like to associate to be an associate of New York's famous mafia families. You'll hear firsthand accounts of the New York New York City mafia and crimes in New York and taste local cuisines. So I, I, I saw this. I was like, this is a such a good idea. Uh, I, I think I saw that this crime walk was making a lot of money. So uh, it was very successful, which is not a surprise to me. Uh, I, I would do this if I was, you know, in New York. I, this is this is great. Um, but a couple of things kind of here's the business idea. So first is this is cool. Quick reaction that I have an idea. Well, on okay so this first of all i just sent this to my wife because we're moving to new york for a little while i said we're doing this second he charges around 120 to 130 depending on the date per person and in the description he says that he has had eight thousand guests so 123 dollars times eight thousand is a million bucks exactly so a million i think that's what i that's what originally caught my attention was here's a who has built an experience? I think that was my kind of curiosity. Who's built an Airbnb experience that has made a million bucks, right? Because this is a big platform. Certainly somebody's doing well. Uh, and so so this is kind of how it caught my eye. Okay, so what's the idea? The idea is this is a cool thing for a cop to do in retirement. I uh, I, I told you we had that uh, that police situation where I had to go do a shakedown. We, we brought a cop with us. And became friends with that cop later and was getting to know, you know, as the first cop I really have become friends with as an adult. Um, and I loved her. She was great. And uh, so, so I was like, well, um, what's, uh, you know, how do cops, can, can cops make more money? Because she was describing how hard it is to be a cop nowadays. There's like kind of like a lot of cop backlash because of BLM and all that stuff. She's like, but I'm a good cop. And like also like budget cuts, like defund the police, but budget cuts are happening all around. And so anyways, long story short, I think this is a cool thing for a retired cop to do. Also could be applied to retired kind of anything. Anybody who has a cool job, like whether you're a SWAT officer, a, you know, military veteran, um, firefighter, whatever it is. I think there's a lot of people who there are a lot of people who are like me. We're like little weaklings that spend all of our days behind a desk. And we want this like safe way to taste, you know, an adventure and, and like what the real tough world looks like. And so that's why like Spartan race and stuff, that's why they do well. And similarly, I think that these like kind of crime walks would be, would be cool. So then I took it a little bit further. Well, why don't people do this with more things? So why don't you take every physical venue where something interesting is happening? Breweries do this, right? Breweries say, hey, we got this brewery, but we also have this side business of people come through, they get a tour of a brewery, they get to see how it's made, they get to taste the beers, they get to take some photos, they get to buy our shit on the way out, and they've turned brewery tours as a like additional income stream for breweries. So why doesn't this happen for more things? Like when I visited uh you know the warehouse for my wife's you know e-commerce business, I was fascinated. It's like this 80,000 square foot place. You get to see all these forklifts coming around and how it how it works, how the fulfillment works when an order comes in, how does it get put in a mailer? How does it get taken out of here? And so I think that for everything, factories, warehouses, police Dude, stations, uh, firefighter Va stations, I think they should all have this as a business. Vayner Media did that where, and you could, well, I don't know about COVID anymore, but, but prior, I think it was like a $20 million a year business. It would cost oh $10,000 $10, 
per person or per like couple and you and your co-founder or you and whoever can go to the vayner media thing and they're like head of people would just to have a discussion with you and then eventually gary would come in for like half an hour and all you do is you learn how an agency works and you get to walk around the office and see like where the departments right. are and you could go to the Eventbrite page and it would show you how many seats they had and how many were taken. And I did that and I just did the math. I'm like, oh my gosh, this might make like 10 to 20 a year if right. like if seven of eight of the seats are actually full. Um, it's actually- and That, that was 10 grand? Yeah, it's called uh, the- uh, 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 If you look up Vayner Media Eventbrite, you'll find it. It was called- So, yeah. so this is, I'm, an age, I'm a small agency owner. Gary V is my hero. VaynerMedia is like what we want to be someday. I'll pay 10 grand to basically get to go check it out, see how it works, meet Gary, shake his hand, uh, spend 20 minutes there, and then like leave. Is that is that basically it? Yeah, it's called the uh, VaynerMedia Daily Digital Deep Buy, Deep Dive. And if you look it up on Eventbrite, you Stupid can... Stupid name. You, yeah, it's a dumb <laughs> name. Uh, am I right, uh, Abreu? Is that what it's called? And so if you look up Eventbrite VaynerMedia, you'll see it. And you could look at the past events and you could see how full it is and you could see the price. It's it's pretty ridiculous. Not okay, so ridiculous I don't bad, but like... So I didn't look this yeah. up beforehand, but I'll tell you another version of this that's cool. Um, are you a basketball fan? Do you know who Coach K is? Yeah, Duke guy. So, I, I know. Duke, I, I'm, yeah. I'm, 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 I, I'm not an idiot, but I'm not a fan. Okay, so The, the four K, Ds, by the way. It's called the four Ds. Uh, it's called the four Ds. Uh, VaynerMedia four Ds. I guess that is daily digital deep dive. <laughs> okay, cool. So um, so Coach K, who is the Duke basketball coach, he's the most famous college basketball coach probably of all time. Uh, and he was the men's Olympic coach for the yeah. dream, uh, the, the, the latest dream teams, regime teams like LeBron and Kobe and all those guys. So he's a pretty popular guy. And... Um, he does a thing every year called Coach K's Fantasy Camp. It's almost identical to what you're talking about. And now you got my brain spinning that how many more of these are there? And how many more should there be? And uh, maybe we need the My First Million Dream Camp. So here's how this works. Coach K's Fantasy Camp. You pay $10,000 and you get to go. Who are these people? They are, you know, Duke students who like, you know, there, there's a bunch of Duke students who are like kind of investors now, CEOs of companies. And uh, they were big basketball fans. Now they got a bunch of money. They're kind of in their 40s or, you know, 50s. And they pay to go to this thing. What is it? You go for the, for I think like a five day program or something like that. You go back to Duke campus and you live like a player. So you stay in the dorms, I think, or you, you know, you stay kind of on campus or right next to campus. Um, there's like a, a bus that basically brings you onto campus and you, you come into Cameron Indoor Stadium, which is the Duke basketball stadium. It's like the hallowed ground. And, um, coach K takes you through a camp where you, you're, you know, you're on the court, you're shooting, you're doing the drills that the players do. You get the motivational talk that coach K gives. He brings in old players to come. Oh, that's Carlos Boozer. Oh, that's JJ Reddick. Um, you know, you get the autographs and kind of, you know, but, but it's more intimate because it's 10 grand. So there's, you know, a few hundred campers, I think. And, uh, so they actually get to meet those guys and, and actually hang with them. And for the players, it's cool too. Cause these are all like, CEOs or high level hedge fund guys, they actually kind of want this business network also. And, um, you get to wear the Jersey, you get to go into the locker room. They play the sounds when you come out and like, you know, you've got your dad bod, like your fats coming out the side of the Jersey <laughs> and it's yourself, like, here bro. comes, here comes Duke. And you get to run out and there's like no fans there. Cause it's not real again. Um, anyways, this thing's awesome. He must make a ton of money off this thing. I haven't really done the math because I heard about this when I was in college, my roommate, was a manager on the team. So he, he was part of the kind of the team program. So he would stay during the summers to be the, the kind of the, the Uber, the shuttle bus driver for these guys. 
And he's like, I was like, why are you doing this? Sounds lame. Like, why do you want to do this? He's like, oh, I make a killing in tips. These guys will just hand me hundreds when they get out for the five, five, five minute ride of like from the, from the dorm or the hotel to the, to the gym. He's like, I'm getting a hundred bucks from these guys. Every time I do one of these shuttles, it's amazing. And, um, and the network is great. Like I meet some of these guys, they're like, hi, you know, this guy started this, this guy started that. So I think this is cool. And I wonder how many more people do this or could do this because it's a very interesting little well, niche. I think you do it for every sport. And and I'm so into this. I don't know what I don't know what I could do it with, but um, I, I'm so he, on board. Here's, here's a version of this if you're a hustler. Um, okay, so, so if you're a hustler, here's what you do. You go to um, Grant Cardone. You go to, you know, people who are, yes, they've made it and they have a high profile, but they actually don't make as they still need money, right? So like you can't, I don't think you could do this with LeBron James necessarily, but I think you could do this with a college football coach because college football coaches like, you know, at, at every program don't make tons of money. Dude, like or, the big a, ones or, 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 or a really famous high school coach. Yeah, exactly. Or um, it could be a CEO of a company or, you know, whatever. And you basically create the same sort of fantasy camp uh, mindset or the 4D tours and it's like, hey, I will run this whole thing for you. I just want 20% of profits. Okay, so here's what I'm going to ask of you. When I bring people over at this time every week or once a year or whatever it is, um, you come out, you kiss babies and shake hands and uh, let me do this. And so it's a way to attach yourself to an influential program, institution or person and create this business line uh, you know, from scratch because really you're just offering this to their, uh, their fans. Dude, I think... And this is actually what I've thought about doing because I enjoy using, I enjoy physical work. Uh, I, whenever I'm done working here, whenever I'm done, I like before I start my next company, I'm, what I'm going to do is I'm either, I'm going to go and read a book and I'm going to master like a niche, like crime in New York or, um, the gold rush in San Francisco or something like that. Or I'm going to start a landscaping company, something that I'm going to have to be outside all day working really hard. And I think I can turn it into a million dollar a year company like inside six months. I truly believe and The reason why this fascinates me is because a, I I love it. I love like being physically exhausted. I enjoy that. But also um, because I think that far too many people are trying to make money on the internet, which is cool and all when they could probably crush it and become quite wealthy by just doing some, something outside that is totally like so, oh it won't scale yada yada i'm like oh fuck it dude who like do like you know first of all everything could scale at least a little frank, bit and second like i, I would who love cares? To, i would love to see somebody do manhood as a service okay what's manhood as, as a service so in the again same way that spartan race and tough mutter they're kind of like these like pseudo tough guy events that you can go do Oh, I did something hard outdoors. I got muddy. I got cut. You know, I, I climbed this mountain. I got this headband and I drank a beer at the end. You know, you get your man card. Now, if anybody who really knows knows that this is not a real man card. This is a fake ID, but you know, this is your McLovin it's man card. Funny. But, <laughs> but it, that's what these are offering. They're offering manhood as a service. And um, I would like to see somebody take this to the extreme. So I, I'll give you the example. Uh, Brother Aaron, who comes on here, he's come on here twice or something like that. And people know him because people like him because he's kind of a nut. Like he comes on yeah, with conspiracies crazy. and rabbit holes and he just goes all in on things. He has gone all in on like manhood. He's sort of like 
dude, we're all too soft. So he trains like jujitsu and boxing and he just wants to do an amateur fight. Why? Cause he's like, I just want to see what I'm made of. And I think you could take that concept and make it a weekend traveling circus that I goes agree. from city to city. And you just say, step up and face some pain. You want to see what it's like to get like kind of tortured. You want to get, t- can you take a punch? Can you get like, like a tough motor? There's the electric shock at the end. And you kind of want to know, like, what does that feel like? Um, you know, like, can you go in this isolation tank and like, could you last an hour? I don't, I don't know what the actual product is, but I know it's a counterintuitive thing. It's like, wait, people are paying to get like, kind of like do physical labor. They have to like chop down this fucking tree and they don't get picked up until they're done. It's like, yeah, that's what this is. It's like hard work slash pain slash like, manhood like what did we used to have to do that we don't have to do anymore what's hardship that we are sheltered from because other people do it for us or machines do it for us or whatever and uh i think there's actually like a very big craving in society for um for those types Dude, of experiences i completely agree i've been going boxing every friday and i just like love i'm like i need to get punched in the face so i can feel alive um exactly. like, i gotta do it it's all but have, like, like again like tough mutter you make it safe enough where the actual you the mass market is pussies basically who don't actually want to go get punched like if you really wanted to go get in a fight you can go do that so you need the people who want to have the experience but with padded walls with you know with with the with the gloves on where you're not actually going to get like severely hurt in any way but you get to experience like what is your level of toughness grit pain tolerance, uh, physical endurance, physical ability. What is your max? Um, like I think survivors should do this. I'm a big survivor uh, nerd and I always see these challenges and I would love to do them. And like, if you're a survivor, okay, back to the camera, Jeff Probst, this idea is for you. You're a survivor. You're, you're, I don't know, you're on season 42 or something like that. You're not getting any younger. The show is not getting that many new users. Here, new customers, new viewers. Here's what you need to do. We need to create the Survivor World Tour where you go city to city and you set up the Survivor events that you've seen on TV and you see, can you do it? Can you hang? What will this do? Survivor super fans have a deeper way to connect with you. They'll pay, you know, t- shut up and take my money because I, I love the show. You can get the ex players to come out because they ain't doing shit anymore, right? They're just doing cameos. So they'll come out and they'll, they'll do it just to extend their lifeline of fame. Um, you'll get new people who will go with their friends to go try this thing. They'll get into the Survivor universe. And then when I'm watching the show, it's like, dude, I did that one where you have to hang on to this pole for as long as you can. And it's an amusement park or a carnival or a fair but branded by one of these shows or maybe multiple shows that get together and do this. What do you think of my idea? In. Yeah. I mean, it's almost like, um, it's like a TV version of Disneyland. Yes. Yes. Exactly. You is- take the IP from TV and you make Disneyland out of it. And, or, or, you know, uh, uh, yeah, like any kind of carnival or Dude, fair. If, if they had like, do you remember, you know, that TV show, the challenge that both you and like, so Sean and my wife, Sarah, like, do I remember the show I watched last week? <laughs> yes. Yeah. They like text each other about this thing called the challenge. I don't, I don't know how it ended. I mean, I see it in the background when Sarah's watching it, but they, well, they well, love well, it. I thought you were a fan. You didn't even I, watch the finale. If, if I don't have anything to do, I'll sit with her and watch it. I, I have literally no idea how it ended. Uh, oh, I think wow. the ending was like last week, right? Yeah. Um, if they had like a challenge location where you could do, I know there's like a famous one called like wall brawl or something like that. Hall brawl. Hall brawl. Yeah. Like if they, like I, we would have gone. Let me describe hall brawl for, for people who don't know. Cause you know, there's not many, the crossover between people who care about business and tech and watch the challenge is, you know, it's yeah. a lonely, lonely Island. So hall brawl is a 
imagine a narrow hallway, like two feet wide. It's just plexiglass. Uh, so two plexiglass things with a two foot gap in between. And on one side, there's one person wearing football pads, another person standing on the other side. And then the guy says, go, and you have to run straight at each other in this narrow hallway. You smash into each other. And then it's like whoever gets out to the other side and rings the bell first wins. And uh, it's the famous thing there. But this is exactly what I would do in my kind of manhood as a service fair or my or my TV fair, which is, yeah, you can do hall brawl. Come step up, sign the waiver, step up and you get to do hall brawl. You get to experience this. We There's video cameras already positioned everywhere and you get to share this content onto Instagram uh, at the end of it. Just like the Museum of Ice Cream, just like Tough Mudder, it's Dude, built I, for um, photo opportunities. I've, all right, I've got, we, we, we're, we're probably going to have to wrap it up soon, but I've got two stories that I'm going to bring up. The first is I was at my friend Nick Gray's house the other day and I met the founder of Museum of Ice Cream. Um, and I nice. told him we talked about him and he was like, oh, I know. And I and we weren't ever disrespectful about him, but I think we were like not bullish on the idea. So we, well, we'll have to. I, I think we were both like, this is a great business idea, but hey, if you go, kind of underwhelming. I think that was like our, both of our like true user opinion of it. So we're going to have to have him come on. But second, have you heard of Museum Hack? No. What is this? So I went to my friend Nick's house the other day and I've been buddies with him for a while. And he's got this website called museumhack.com. He recently sold the business. But this is just another example of one of these tour things that we've been discussing. So he... I don't even know if he knows a lot about art. I don't know what his background is actually, but he likes, he just enjoys museums. And so he built this business that was making $2 million a year in sales. And you would pay him, or eventually he would train people in a variety of cities. And you would pay $50 to $100, I forget the plus admission to the museum. And in New York, the museum's free. And he would give you a custom tour of a museum and explain you explain to you the the background behind the different paintings and different pieces of art but he would do it in a fun way so if you go if you google museum hack the meta description is museum hack fucking awesome museum tours so it was like clearly like this like young right. hip you know whatever thing and companies would pay money to send their employees there and they do it in six cities, I think. So they have people in LA, San Francisco, New York, and then a few other cities. And it was a $2 million a year business. And this is all that he did. And it was very successful. It was a lot of work to set up, but it kind of ran itself after a while. And pretty simple and straightforward and pretty amazing. It was called Museum Hack. That's the business. That's cool. I like that one. Um, you had two stories. Is that the one? Is that both or is that one? That was both. Okay, that's both. Can I do one more idea? Yeah. Do we want to try to slip it in? All right. So yeah. this is related to related to manhood as a service, more like back to the roots, which I think kind of like what you were talking about was like, I'm gonna buy a farm, I'm gonna like own the farm, and I'm gonna like offer tours of the farm and let people come like farm with me, uh, or a ranch or something like that, right? And you're talking about rent the chicken. I'm looking at the site now. Rent the chicken is what I want to talk about. So what? I saw this little thing that showed that that's talked about how the chicken rental business has been booming during the pandemic. Okay, what is this? People are renting chickens, like pet. It's like a pet in a box. So chicken kind of owners, breeders, I don't know who, you, real farm people basically are taking chickens and basically saying, hey, Sam, who, uh, you know, lives in Austin and, you know, has his house. Do you want a chicken coop in your backyard? Here's what you get. Hey, there's two chickens back there. Cool. You kind of got a little pet. I, I'll bring the coop. I bring the feed. I bring the instructions. I, I kind of boot you up. I, I let you know how it works. They're going to lay like six eggs, uh, you know, a, a, a day or whatever. Like you're going to get fresh eggs that are awesome from your own coop. And you got this pet uh, that's oh back there. Oh my God, this is And awesome. like you get to talk to them and pet them. And 
But and like I know, for example, my daughter is like 18 months old. She, like kids love animals, and so I want to get her like some kind of animal soon. That's like a like because we have cows that come in our backyard or like back to our fence. And it's like her favorite thing in the whole world is to be like cows, cow. And she says like, you know, cow see moo, cow see moo. Like it means like I want to go see the cows. Uh, they go moo. And so I take her to the fence and she sees them and she's like wants to touch them. And it's like her favorite thing. Our friend Ramon had a little chicken coop in his backyard. Yeah, three of them. Uh, three chickens back there and his son li- liked it. And they used to go out there and, you know, feed the chickens and get eggs from them. And so this is booming. So they're all like sold out. So all the re- chicken rental companies can't get a chicken right now. They're all like totally booked. The demand during the during the pandemic like tripled. I think it's still small numbers because they were like, oh yeah, demand tripled. Last year we need 70, 70, we had 70 chickens to rent and now we have like 200 chickens to rent. So it's like, that's still not that many coops that you're Dude, renting this out. Is pretty amazing. But I'll call this my, this is my new segment called Blue Collar Side Hustle. I may never do the segment again, but at least for this no, one. No, we're going to do that. That's a good one. Blue Collar so, Side Hustle. So Blue Collar Side Hustle. This is a way to make a few thousand That's dollars a month. That's whole episode. This whole episode is Blue Collar Side Hustles, I think, actually. Cool. So so we talk about side hustles where it's like, oh, make a newsletter, build an audience, build a job board, build a website that does this, do drop shipping, blah, blah, blah. No, no, no. Blue Collar Side Hustles. Things you could just do with your bare hands. Uh, make money with your bare hands. So here's how it works. Whatever city you're in, there's probably demand for these chicken rentals where you are too. If all these other ones are sold out, uh, there's probably demand in those cities and in Nashville and in Florida and in LA and in everywhere. So rent some coops, basically go get some chickens and start renting them out to people who want to be connected with nature, have a little pet in their backyard that's low maintenance and get some fresh eggs. So I think this is a great idea as a simple way that you could be making, I don't know what it is, you know, five to 10 grand a month of side hustle income through your blue collar side hustle. Dude, and this website, Rent the Chicken, they also have a thing called Buy the Eggs or something like that. And you can find out where the... So Rent the nearest Chicken, one. Yeah. they put you a thing near you. And then they have a thing where you could find out where the nearest one is and you could buy the fresh eggs from your... Which is cool, <laughs> right? So you can go farm to table, but you're just in a city and you're just getting it from somebody who lives t- t- two miles away. They also do this with schools, which I think is, again, smart because kids love this. Schools and offices. Hey, are you a school and office? Great, we can do a six-week program where you get chickens for six weeks. You guys get to name them, take care of them, pet them, blah blah blah. Take you know, kids are gonna get, have fun, and then we move on. Which back when I was in school, we had the same. We had like a class pet for like you know, everybody got to take them home for two weeks or something like that. Um, you know, so we had that. You have like a beekeeper thing, or like you're a beekeeper. You have bees, bees and honey. Maybe bees and honey is like another little genre besides chickens. Uh, but I think anything where it's a simple, low maintenance pet that is unorthodox and ideally provides a little bit of food you can eat. So eggs, honey, something like that. I, I think that that is How a really cool, this? fun thing to do. Again, dude, your growth, you were working on growth. I said, I got to find something good. And then I just closed my eyes and started typing buttons. And this came to me. This is uh very cool. So it, it, rent the chicken is not okay. So it's, Here's the price for Houston. Houston's near San Francisco. They deliver to you for free. It's only $285 for a five-week rental, February to October. They deliver and set it up for free. You get seven eggs that are going to be hatched. You get uh, a box. I think you get one chicken. This is so interesting. What a sixty cool bucks a I- week, right? Sixty bucks a week to have a, you know a, a chicken or two in your backyard making eggs. Oh, rent a chicken. Rent the chicken is cool. I'm into rent the chicken. I went to um 
a party the other day and it was they had a backyard petting zoo and like a petting zoo delivery service was it a kids party or an adults party it was an adults party and they had <laughs> it was basically all the backyard it just means they they have chickens they have a guinea pig and i think that's oh and rabbits right. and uh th- that's what this reminds me of uh rent the chicken backyard petting zoos i'm into all this shit man i like all this <laughs> stuff this is this is a good one i actually think this is something i might sign up for but they're not in austin um my but my friend who had a chicken he said the eggs looked different but they didn't taste different Um, but i would feel a lot better eating backyard eggs than store eggs for sure um can i then let me switch gears real quick how do you stay focused because when i'm doing this so i'm like i'm all in on podcasts right now like that's all i think about it's all i'm it's almost it's almost all i work at work on i have 200 unread texts i've got hundreds of voicemails I get phone calls from like salespeople selling me crap. My email yeah. is ruined. Twitter sucks. My Slack is constantly beeping. It is so hard to get in the zone and focus. How do you yes. do it? Um, well, I would say this. I am not a details person in general. So I would say one of the ways to stay focused or one of the ways to get shit done, I'll, I'll, instead of saying stay focused, I'll say get shit done is to correctly identify, like you said, the 80-20 of any project. So for you, you were like, for the podcast, okay, what do I ultimately need to do? I need to get people to smash the subscribe button. So how do I get more people to hit subscribe today, right? So you you focused on the thing that matters and you threw away the rest and then you like did the, what's the one step I can take today to like get that to happen more? And then tomorrow I'll come up with another one and the next day I'll come up with another one. So that's, you didn't say it in so many words, but that's how I operate. I identify what is the thing that if I just did this one thing, it's going to get me 80% of the return or the reward or the impact. And then I try to just set out, okay, today I got to get this one outcome done. And that one outcome might have like five tasks, five like subtasks underneath. But I'm like, okay, if I can correctly identify the high impact thing. And then secondly, if I can just narrow it down you know, make it a memorable, like I don't do a to-do list. It's one thing that I can remember in my head all day that this is the one outcome I got to get done. I'll find a way to get it done. It won't leave my brain. I don't let my brain get cluttered by all the 10 other things. And this bothers the hell out of my wife or like right now my mom's staying with us, right? She's helping out with the baby and she's like, oh, you got to get your car insurance thing done. Oh, and hey, did you know your trash thing? We should upgrade the thing so you get the bigger bins because your bins are overflowing. And like all these people texted you because it was your birthday on Sunday. You, did you reply to any of them? I'm like, no, I, I didn't do any of those things. I don't plan to do any of those things. None of those things are in line with my chief aim right now. So like I'm going to like focus on that. And it doesn't matter what the chief aim is, right? Like we just had this baby. My chief aim was like, I'm going to be so helpful with this baby, because like, I can see my wife, this is like, she's going to drown. Otherwise, this is too hard to have two kids under 18 months old. Uh, I need to be like Mr. Mr. Helpful. And so I like went all in on Mr. Helpful. But if it's a project, like let's say growing the podcast, that's what I would do. Identify the 80, the thing that will give me 80% of the impact, make it every day, just choose one high impact thing to do. Like it might be get booked on other people's podcasts, other big podcasts. Cause I know that's going to drive attention. Cool. I'll only do that thing. I won't do anything else. So what you're describing, uh, I actually wrote about this. I have this article called I'll Do It Later, Why You Shouldn't Worry About Procrastinating. And it was written in 2015. So I wrote this six years ago. And basically, and I stole a lot of ideas from other people. So I, won't take, I don't want to act like I invented this. But there's basically three types of procrastination. There's the first type, which is you do nothing. And that type is easy. 
Um, a lot of people uh, suffer from that, and that's what you want to avoid. You don't want to do number one. The second one is doing something less important than what you should be doing. A lot of people do that too. And that's basically when you, uh, you know you have to do this uh, school homework, but you play video games instead. Right. No, no. It's like you clean your room. It's like you, you, you do some false productive thing when you didn't need to do that. You should have been studying for the test tomorrow. Yeah, it's called bu- it's busy work and it's meaningless. Yeah. And that's actually the worst type of procrastination because you actually think you're doing something productive. In reality, you're not. Um, and that's really dangerous. But the third type of procrastination, I think we should all embrace. And it's actually the good type of procrastination. So it is when you, uh, when you do something that's more important than the stuff you should be doing. And that's actually what you just described. So getting your car insurance is actually important. But... What's more important, let's say this relates to business, it's just making a ton of money to, to the point where that car insurance kind of like is it's you understand that it's less important. And the yep. best uh, example of this is like the brilliant scientist who accidentally wears two left shoes or who forgets right. to shower or who doesn't take their trash out. Is taking your trash out important? It's important, but it's far less important than creating the theory of relativity. You know what I mean? Right. And so and actually, actually Balaji said something about this the other day because we said, what's your day like? And he goes... I, um, you know, I, he's like, or we said kind of like, dude, you're thinking about all these topics, like the future of X and the, you know, the, 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 the future of Y and the past of Z. These are heavy, like these are meaty topics to think about. Like, how do you do that every day? And he was like, actually, that's not so hard for me. That feels like play. Like I enjoy doing that. What's hard for me is remembering that I have a, you know, I have a, a call I got to be on in 10 minutes and like stopping what I'm doing, getting there on time and remembering to go do that thing. He's like, cause I get completely engrossed in what I'm doing. And that becomes easy, but what becomes hard is like normal life. And I was like, yeah, you're, you are the absent minded scientist who's got like his desk is like, you know, totally messy. It's like to someone else it looks like chaos, but you know that you're piecing these things together and you don't care about organizing your desk right now. It's just not what's important to you. And the thing is, is that logically, we all know that the third type of procrastination is good and you should actually embrace it. But the world basically tries to beat that out of you and they try to totally. paint you in this corner and make you vanilla. And they say, but Sean, you have to do your insurance or you have to text these people back. And the answer is often or it should be like, but why? Actually, it's far more important if I do X, Y and Z. And I have found this extreme question but helpful question to ask yourself is, uh, will the task that I'm working on right now be mentioned or be part of me being mentioned in my obituary? And right. if it's not, then you're procrastinating. Don't, 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 don't do that. <laughs> Work on the thing that will be mentioned on your obituary or has a chance of. Um, yeah, like I, and- I actually got into an argument with my wife yesterday about this because we have some bill that's like we have like a $700 late fee on it. And she was like, oh, my God, we're so wasteful. Like, why didn't you just pay this bill? I told you about it. I put it on your desk. And I was like, uh, and I was like, yes, you did put it on my desk, but I was so knee deep in learning about DeFi the last three days. And hey, guess what? Like we've made, you know, $68,000 in three days on in this DeFi trade that I was making. And um, like that's cash in the bank now. Like, could we not worry about the $700 thing? And so for me, it's so black and white, but she comes from a totally different value set, which is like, it feels worse to her to take something that was avoidable, um, that you could have just taken care of, that would signify adulthood, uh, that you're on top of your bills. And um, and for me, it's the exact opposite. My values are, you know, focus on the things that matter and like let other shit fall on the ground. And like that stuff is on the ground for a reason. I just hop, skip and jump around it. Um, and, and, and so we are so different and we constantly get into these arguments 
And I feel like financially I'm on the right side of history, but, um, you know, in the house, I'm definitely losing rounds every time we do these battles. So if your wife is listening to this and she for does anyone it, else, by the way, and my <laughs> wife does, which is weird. Um, but if show her this episode and to anyone else out there who like fits in this like scientist type of forgetful scientist thing where they forget birthdays or they do this and they do this, but they're really actually focused on like some interesting thing that will actually change their life or others lives. Let it slip. Let it right. slide. Do not give in to this societal pressure of like having to focus on these unimportant things because you should instead be focused on things that actually matter. Your health, right. whatever you're working on, and your family. Everything else is pretty much bullshit. Um, yes. So can, can, can my, I give one, can I give my last last piece on this? I know we're gonna move on in a second, but I have I have two minutes on this, which is I made a choice a long time ago. Right, the way I realized how this works is. There are people who are, you know, there's unproductive people. They're just lazy. They don't get shit done. Okay. You don't want to be one of them. Then in the productive class, there's two types of people. There's efficient productive and there's effective productive. I'm effective productive. You're effective productive. There's a lot of people who we work with. In fact, we have to hire people that are efficient productive. What they do is they get a high number of tasks done uh, and done well, but they don't necessarily correctly identify the one or two tasks that are going to have disproportionate rewards, and they don't go overboard on those tasks. So if you look at us, well, that's what we're going to do, whether it's project selection or even within a project. We will find the one or two things that will drive the most returns. We will go give that 120, 180%, and then we will do 0% on the other things. Whereas another person might say, and, and by the way, that might all happen in a two-hour burst of work in the day or a four-hour late-night binge. Uh, and the other hours of the day were completely, you know, we were scatterbrained, we were doing other shit, and it didn't matter. There's other people who say, I'm going to work from nine to five. I'm going to make every hour count. I'm going to get a whole bunch of things done. I feel good because I plowed through my to-do list. I was so efficient. I used every hour properly, and I got a large number of tasks done. Um, and I, you know, I have tied up all these loose ends that's efficient, productive. So decide which one you're going to be both have pros and cons. I think for a CEO entrepreneurial type, effective, productive is better. Um, or at least I've seen that's a more common path to success, I should say. So that's one. The second thing is just like you said that there's procrastination. Um, I, you, you, you left the Cody Sanchez uh, uh, podcast last time, but at the end we talked about this where she, she was talking about finding mentors and uh, I stole this Naval quote, which is so true. When people think they need a mentor to go do their project or to like start their startup, they're looking for a mentor first. It's just an advanced form of procrastination. Um, you will find mentors along the way. You'll find people who are super helpful, who have experience. They'll guide, they'll open doors, they'll guide you. But, uh, that is not what's stopping you from making progress right now. And if you are looking for mentors before you do the thing, uh, you are procrastinating. You're just doing it in a way that other people can't point and laugh at because you're not just eating Cheetos and watching TV as your form of procrastination. And the final point, that. which the final point is, um, there is a class of things. And right now, for example, I, I, I do this list. I, I've done, I've, I've put this in my frameworks PDF that if you, if you go sign up for my, my newsletter on seanpuri.com, this is the first thing I send you. It's my frameworks PDF. I have this like iron cross or it's called an Eisenhower matrix. It's basically like a, uh, a, a two crossed lines and the, the up and down line is basically impact. So low impact to high impact. And the left to right is urgent and non-urgent. And so on a given day, you want to do the things that are urgent and high impact. Uh, but what, it, but so that's obvious, but then what do you do next? And once you do those two things, what do you do next? Do you go to the bucket that is urgent, but low impact, 
or high impact non-urgent. And what most people do, 90, 95% of people, including myself on many days, is we'll do the urgent low impact thing. We'll pay that bill. We will call that person back. We will, um, you know, whatever it is, uh, tie up those loose ends because they're due today or they're due yesterday. Um, but there's a whole other batch of things that are important and non-urgent. They just sit there like ticking time bombs. And the great quote around this is that, you know, what's important but non-urgent um, becomes urgent very quickly. And uh, what, what ends up, you know, it becomes urgent when it's too late. Uh, so like for me right now, this is setting up my tax strategy, my overarching tax strategy. How do I manage? Do I need an estate? Do I need a trust? How am I going to do all this? It's, I don't know about that shit. It kind of makes my mind bend a little bit. It's easier for me to just avoid that because there's no like, there's no specific day where I have to get that set up. But every day that I don't, I'm not doing something that's, that's uh, you know, high impact or, or a very um, large, large impact thing. And so think about the things you do on this axis and then try not to just avoid those things that are non-urgent and high impact because that's actually where a lot of value gets driven. I, uh, I'm doing all that shit now. I can't stand it. So I agree. I think we had a good little rant on procrastination on uh, productivity. Okay, great. Good episode. That's it. That's a wrap. Abreu, give us the grade. People hated when we put the grade up front. Uh, I got like five messages being like, I prefer it. Uh, I prefer it at the end. All right. That's good. All right, everyone. I asked you to either leave a review or subscribe and send me proof. And hundreds, maybe even north of a thousand people did. I'm not going to read all your names right now, but I'm going to get to everyone eventually. But I want to give a few shout out or I want to give a shout out to a handful of people that did it. So, uh, Here's everyone who subscribed and sent a screenshot. If you want to get a shout out, you can do the same. My email is mfm at thehustle.co. So it's my first million mfm, mfn, mfm, sorry, at thehustle.co. Subscribe to the podcast and send me a screenshot and I'm going to read your name. So give a shout out to Sam Dickey, to Alex Kana, to Apostolos. Ooh, this guy. I think he's a Greek guy. Apostolos D. Delandis, Adam Gusky, Ryan Bennett, Zach Rosen, Rob Borowski, Alex Rodolfi, Bryron Standers, Sanders, Will Sweat, Rob Phillips, Richie Dawes. And then here's a bunch of people on Twitter who hollered at me with um with um a review and a proof of subscription. So Paul Halsop. Jimmy Montreef, Warren SMP, Cameron Walker, Willie Soxy, Soxy, Mooney Millions, Ms. McLean, Ellie Lager. Oh my gosh. I'm really sorry, guys. I just, for some reason, I have an issue where I, I struggle to pronounce certain stuff. Uh, Danny Dolly, K3 Goodman, Lewis Shulman, Dave M. Smith, Cheese 3, Solar Wolf, Faf Coffee, Wade W Wireless, Landon H seven. Uh and that's that's it for right now. I'm gonna get to the rest um next week. But we'll see if 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 this is even good and people like this. But s- go ahead and subscribe to the podcast. Send me proof that you've subscribed via a screenshot. Send it to MFM at the hustle.co and I'll try to read your name. Feel like I can rule the world. I know I could be what I want to. Uh, I put my all in it like my days off. On the road, let's travel, never looking back. Oh, yeah.